Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. American Festival Chorus and Orchestra is performing the Mozart Requiem on Saturday. And we're going to talk about it today. Craig Jessup, Director of American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, and Gary Griffin, Managing Director of Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, are joining us in studio to talk about Mozart, the Requiem, and performing arts as we come out of the pandemic. This is American Festival Chorus and Orchestra's first live performance following the pandemic, and it's a benefit concert for Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater and a memorial to all Utahns who've lost their lives to COVID. We're going to hear excerpts from the Requiem during the hour as well. So we welcome in uh, Craig Jessup. Thanks for coming in. Good morning, Tom. It's great to be back with you. It's it's great to be in studio again, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, Gary Griffin, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate you having us today. Well, it's it's wonderful to to have both of you gentlemen in. Uh, so, uh, Craig Jessup, tell me how this concert came about. Well, uh, we were thrilled to hear that the opera season was going to take place. And for obvious reasons, it had to be scaled back. And we've had this long association with the Utah Festival Opera going back to uh, the early days of the American Festival Chorus for at least at least the last 10 years as a part of the season uh, we've given a major choral orchestral work. It started when uh, Michael and I were at an event. M- Michael and I grew up together, so we go way, way, way back to junior high. Uh, he was doing, I think, La Traviata in one of the seasons, and he said, wouldn't it be great if we could do a Verdi Requiem? And I said, why not? And he said, well, if you can supply the chorus, I could supply the orchestra and the soloist. And that started this decade of uh, singing together as a part of the season. And if, everywhere from, uh, at, we did the Mozart Requiem one year. The Verdi Requiem was our first, but Karl Orff's Carmino Burana, uh, Beethoven Ninth. Uh, we've done also the Von Williams, Dona Nobis Pachem a whole list of a lot of repertoire, and it just seemed right. And the arts have taken such a hit, Tom, during the pandemic. Everyone has, but the arts literally totally shut down. And those of us in our arts organizations who rely not only on donors, but ticket sales, it was particularly devastating. And I talked to Wendy Hassan to see if the Ellen Eccles might be available. And she said, uh, Craig, I have some very wonderful donors who've been anonymous. They don't want to be known, but they've told me if there's an event that we think we ought to do, uh, we'll underwrite the costs of the event. That is the Ellen Eccles costs. And we had uh, a donor as well who said, uh, we'll underwrite the cost of the concert. So all of this, 100% of it, has been financed by anonymous donors from the community and from the state. And every single cent of every ticket sold will go directly to the Utah Festival Opera. And it's just a way of us saying thank you for this wonderful relationship we've enjoyed with you. We love the opera, and it's such a valuable part of the community. We want to give back now in any way that we can. So we're very excited about it. Well, Gary Griffin, uh, a a great thing for the opera, right? Well, obviously it is. Uh, Dr. Jessup is an incredibly kind thing of you to do, and we appreciate it. We appreciate the relationship we've had for the last 10 years. It's been marvelous, and we hope it will continue for many more. So do we. So do we. I want to say, Tom, yeah. if we sell, I think the tickets are like, they go from 20 to $35. Something like that. Yeah, they're not terribly expensive. So let's be really conservative and say it seats 1,100 people. Yes. And we sell just uh, every seat at $20. That's about what? Yeah, that's... Help me. <laughs> I'm a lousy math guy. But that's over $20,000. Yeah, I, I suspect yeah. we, you should and bring it, in that much. It, it could be even more than that. So I want our public to know every cent will go directly to the opera and mm-hmm. for the continuance of the opera. Yeah. It's a small thing, 
but that's, every cent counts. That's so small to us. That's a big yeah. thing to us. Everything counts in this mm-hmm. age. So we're so excited. Saturday, 1 o'clock, right? Saturday, 10th of July, 1 o'clock in the Ellen Eccles Theater. You can buy tickets online through the Utah Festival Opera. Yes, you can. And I noticed uh, a lot of tickets have been sold already. Which is fantastic. Yeah. That's a great sign. Mm-hmm. But we want every single seat filled. So that would be nice. Please, listeners, buy 10 tickets for your good. neighborhood. Yes. Well, uh, let's participate here. Gary, how do you get tickets? Well, you can go to the box office, our, our box office, which is www.utahfestival.org, or you can come to the Donsant Building, 59 South, 100 West, and buy them there. Yeah. So tell me, uh, uh, Gary Griffin, of course, obviously last year the, the whole season was zapped yes. by COVID, right? Oh, yeah. What were some of the, I, I'm sure safety was top of mind for performers and attendees, but you wanted to do a season. So tell me about planning the season. Well, when we decided, the primary reason we decided to do a season is the government has been very generous with their COVID relief programs, and they gave us a considerable amount of money to help us stay on our feet and to actually do something. But we had to do something to uh, to earn that money. Uh, because of the restrictions, this was back in March, I think, when we decided we could would go ahead. We couldn't uh, there was social distancing. I think the rules at the Eccles Theater at the time, we could have 96 people in there. Uh, there's no way we could have done that kind of a, of a season. Uh, an orchestra in the pit, you know, with horns blowing uh, in each other's faces, that just wasn't going to happen. So we decided uh, to scale the season down and do smaller works. Uh, and do it in our own theater, which we own, the, the Utah Theater. And uh, gradually the, the restrictions went away, and we're now able to have a full um, audience. Uh, but when we decided to do it, we couldn't, and that's why we're not in the Eccles Theater this year. Yeah. Well, it's a great season. We'll talk about it as we go yeah. along. So tickets at utahfestival.org. Um, so I want to jump into some music and talk about Mozart's Fascinating Life and the, this Requiem. Um, inevitably, you talk about Amadeus, the movie. Uh, I don't of know. If, I don't know if younger people are familiar with the movie. Hopefully, they are. Um, I want to play uh, just a portion of uh, of uh, the opening, the Etoides, the the Requiem. Uh, so this will be uh, track one. So just tell us what uh, what they're singing here, just in general. Yes, this is the the first movement is called the Introit, which sounds like the word introduction, and that's exactly what it is. It's service, this is written for a religious service. Uh, it's never meant for a concert. It was never intended as a concert piece. It's a uh, s- sacred music for service. And the introit, the function of the introit for a requiem mass for the dead is the entrance of the clergy. The coffin would be processed in and brought into the sanctuary and it begins with Requiem Eternam, Dona Eis Requiem Domine, Lord, give them eternal rest, grant them eternal rest, and let perpetual light shine on them forever. And then the Mass itself starts with the Kyrie, every Mass, no matter what the occasion, Kyrie, uh, Lord have mercy upon us, Kyrie eleison, Christe, Christ have mercy upon us, Kyrie eleison. And so you have the introit, which is a very slow adagio. It's very solemn. It's very mournful. It's scored for two basset horns, which are the clarinet family, only pitched lower. Two bassoons, those are the only woodwinds. Um, Three trombones, two trumpets, timpani, and strings. It's... uh, very much in the Masonic music color palette in that he wrote many things for the Masons. He was a member of the local Masonic Lodge. And it has this very rich, dark woodwind sound. So the first thing you'll hear are the low strings, and the next thing you'll hear is a basset horn. And we will have a pair of basset horns in the Ellen Eccles Theater. It'll be as authentic as we possibly can. You'll hear such a sadness. It's in the key of D minor, which has always been historically from the time of Monteverdi associated with the underworld. Uh, When Monteverdi uh, 
I can't remember exactly which opera it is, but in Mozart's Don Giovanni, when Don Giovanni is taken down to the underworld by the stoned guest, the commendatory, he descends into the underworld in the key of D minor with trombones. And Mozart does the same thing in starting his Requiem. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a, a tremendous scene, right? The, the statue of the commendatory. That's right. Comes and invites him essentially. Don, down, Don down Giovanni had killed yeah, him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's hear from the from Mozart's Requiem Mass. Um, let's hear just a couple of minutes of the of track one here. Wish we could hear the whole thing, but it, we just sit here and uh, have about enough time we could hear the just to yeah. play the CD. But um, um, so you were saying before we went out of the air, uh, Craig, and I think we have you know if we have knowledgeable about this, you know that uh, this was unfinished at the time of Mozart's that, death. That's correct. And so that that what we just heard is maybe the one number that we know for sure was... We know for sure the introit and mm-hmm. the Kyrie, everything in there is what Mozart wrote. The notes and the orchestration is 100% in Mozart's hand. In Mozart's hand. Then there are sketches, and the, Mo- the way Mozart would compose, he'd write out a melodic line, he'd write out a harmonic rhythm chart, he would write out uh, some little uh, suggestions for orchestration, and this became his blueprint. Everything was in his mind. The amazing thing about Mozart, there are no real, uh, like Beethoven and Brahms. Brahms destroyed all of his sketches. He didn't want anyone to see the pain he went through, and Beethoven didn't care. He wanted the world to see the pain he went through and scratched out when you look at a Mozart score, it's like it's been coming out of a printer. There are no mistakes. It's all composed in his mind, and he just takes the time and just writes it out with no corrections. It's astounding to look at a Mozart autographed manuscript, and you will find hardly any changes 
It's all up here. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. I want to just read a little bit from the notes. By the way, this recording is led by Leonard Bernstein, and he's leading, in this case, the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. Um, so this is from the notes to this recording by Peter Branscombe, uh, sending out the legend. Uh, so Peter Branscombe says, Of all of Mozart's works, the, the Requiem is one of the most deeply shrouded in legend, though, as it happens, much of the legend turns out to be true. A mysterious messenger really did come unannounced to invite Mozart to compose the work, though we do not know when. He offered a generous fee, the size, however, is given variously, as well as a reasonable time for the writing of the work, and he advised the composer against trying to establish the identity of the patron. Is that, that true? That, that is all true. Yeah. yeah. As, as we see it in the movie Amadeus, right? That the, is true. Mysterious all, stranger. That, that is correct. And he comes, they believe, scholars believe now, that he came early in in the first half of 1791, around March, April, and said, I'd like to commission this work. I'm representing someone, but who wishes to remain anonymous, and I'll pay you so much now in advance and an equal amount when it's finished. Don't be rushed. And it found out this was a Count von Walsek who's uh, had this... A hobby of commissioning famous composers of his generation to write music, then he would foist it off as his work <laughs> and perform it. In this case, his wife had died. She was 20 years old, and this was to be a requiem mass in her honor, and he was going to hand it off as his own work. Mozart then took it, accepted it, uh, and we don't see any work on it until about October. Why? He composed the opera La Clemenza di Tito for the coronation of Leopold II in, in uh, Prague. He c- composed the magic flute, Die Zauberflöte, for his friend Schikander in the theater in Vienna. He wrote the clarinet concerto, which is world famous. Uh, he wrote the motet Ave Verum Corpus, and he wrote a cantata for his local Masonic lodge. After uh, he's done the premiere of La Clemenza di Tito, and Magic Flute, two operas, he sits down and begins to write the Requiem in October. And in about six weeks, he is very, very ill. And so we only have this first movement completed by him. Much of it sketched out, some things left empty. But when he dies, December 5th, 1791, he had Costanza, his wife, bring the score to his bed, but he just could not work on it. He was convinced this was the angel of death who had come to see him, and he was writing his own requiem mass. When he dies, Costanza wants to die with him. Uh, contemporary accounts say she literally climbed into bed with his corpse, and they had to pry her off. She wanted to die with him. Four months later, she had their sixth child, Uh, And she was in dire straits because they had no money. So she persuaded uh, a colleague, Zussmeyer, to complete it so she could give it to the stranger and get the money for it. And that's essentially what happened. Yeah, amazing. Um, Much more to say, including uh, correctives on the movie Amadeus, right? For example, before we go to break... In the movie, Salieri is essentially encouraging Mozart to work himself to death, right? But That's correct. He's in the room. Mozart's scribbling furiously trying to finish this Requiem Mass. Salieri is very successful, a contemporary a composer of opera for uh, the court in Vienna. And uh, he's the movie portrays him insanely jealous of Mozart. How could he not be in real life? But the movie thesis is... He commissioned the Requiem, and he drives him to work himself to death, and he believes that he murdered Mozart by making this wretched creature work to death. Yeah, yeah. Not true, right? That, that Not true. Not, not true. Not very, true. Very good. Um, anyway, we, we're due for a break. Uh, before we go to break, uh, Gary Griffin, uh, tell us uh, some of the productions in the, this season for— well, we're going to do, uh, we'll do four productions this year. We were going to do I Do, I Do last year, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to carry that over. That's a, a two-person uh, musical 
starring Michael Ballam and Susan Hansen. They did this uh, early on in our, in our season, about our second year, I believe, and they're doing it again. It's a story about a couple over 60-year relationship. When they did it the first time, uh, it was uh, kind of hard to make up <clears throat> to make them look older. This time they're making them up to make them look younger, but it's a really uh, fun show. We're also doing The Fantastics, which is the most uh, popular uh, musical ever done. It's the longest-running musical, Um, lots of uh, beautiful things. We're doing a a show called 33 Variations about the last years of uh, Ludwig von Beethoven, how he took a uh, mediocre waltz, and <clears throat> made 33 different variations on it. And, and it's a very interesting uh, play. I think you'd enjoy it very much. And then our final one is something called Souvenir, which is a two-person show. It's about uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, one of the worst singers to ever live, <laughs> and uh, became very popular. Joy Hermelin uh, comes from us uh, on Broadway. She is marvelous in this role, and Jerry Steichen is her uh, piano player, and it is a hilarious uh, play, and I think uh, the people would enjoy that very much. Yeah. I've uh, I've heard uh, actual recording of Florence Foster Jenkins. Uh, she's delightfully bad. She's it's uh, it's hard to yeah. sing that off key. Yeah, on on purpose. Yeah, so it's it's this is just ripe for a yeah. Joyce for a, having for a the time of musical. her life yeah. doing that. <laughs> that takes some skill to purposely sing off key. You have right? to have a yeah. real great artist to pull yeah. that off. Indeed. So uh, the tickets for all of these utahfestival.org, right? Yes, Utah same Festival. same place as the tickets for the requiem. And the requiem uh, Saturday, one p.m. Saturday this Saturday, uh, the tenth of July, one p.m. Very good. Also, utahfestival.org. Let's take a break. Much more following this. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. Support also comes from the USU Lyric Repertory Company, presenting All the Way, a sequel to 20, a prequel to 2019's presentation of The Great Society, depicting LBJ's first term in office as he works to establish the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Performances through July 17th. Details at lyricrep.org. America's military leaders are looking to the future. What do I think the future is? I think it's algorithmic warfare. Weapons that can think for themselves, powered by artificial intelligence. I didn't believe that AI had any business taking a human life. Missiles with a mind of their own on the next Reveal. Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio. I'm Hank when I listen to Utah Public Radio via the radio in Zion National Park and also online at upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are talking about Mozart, his Requiem Mass, uh, his final work, and uh, we're talking about performing arts as we come out of the pandemic. American Festival Chorus and Orchestra is performing the Mozart Requiem this Saturday, 1 p.m., it's a benefit for Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. And in studio with us, Craig Jessup, director of American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, and Gary Griffin, managing director of Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. We're hearing excerpts from the Requiem. Uh, this is a performance from 1989 led by Leonard Bernstein. He's leading the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra and uh, Chorus here. Oh, I should give credit to the soloists, uh, Marie McLaughlin, Maria Ewing, Jerry Hadley, and Cornelius Hauptmann. Um, so, uh, here at the beginning, uh, once again, Gary Griffin, uh, tell us, uh, just, uh, run down the works that were uh, sure. this uh, season. Four of them in repertory. We open tonight, by the way, uh, with, uh, Souvenir, and, uh, we go through July 31st, and, uh, we'll have at least, uh, eight or nine different opportunities to see each of the four shows, all of them at the Utah Theater. It's a, it's a beautiful uh, theater, very intimate. These shows, these smaller shows, uh, lend themselves to, uh, to a smaller venue. Uh, you really feel like you're part of the action when you're sitting there and uh, you're, you're in Florence Foster Jenkins' living room, and uh, you just feel like you're part 
part of it. It's it's a a whole different feeling than being in a larger space like the Eccles Theater. And so to get tickets, utahfestival.org. Indeed. Including to uh, the Mozart Requiem, which was Saturday at 1 p.m. Also tickets, utahfestival.org. That'll be performed by Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Uh, we should credit your soloist, who's, who, who's yes, soloing for, are, for your performance. We're, we're bringing back one of our alums to do the soprano. Her name is Nicole Vanderdoss. She's a graduate of Utah State University in vocal performance, went on, auditioned for the United States Air Force Singing Sergeants, and is a member of the Singing Sergeants. And uh, we're thrilled to have her back. The reason she was coming back is to sing with the uh, Aggie Alumni Band, who will give their first concert of the season on the quad at the university Sunday evening at 6. And uh, Nicole is coming as an official representative of the United States Air Force Band and Singing Sergeants. She'll be in her uniform, and she'll sing. Cindy Dewey, our uh, department head of music and head of the voice area was going to do the soprano solo, and she says, "Craig, let's have Nicole do it. She's here; she'll sing it beautifully." So I thought it was a fantastic idea. Nicole Vanderdoss will be the soprano. Audrey Adams McMillan, who's professor at voice at Westminster College in Salt Lake City, an incredible mezzo, has sung at the Met. Our own Corey Evans, Director of Choral Activities at Utah State University, will be the tenor. And Mr. Clayton Brainerd, a dear friend of mine, who is this incredible bass baritone from Seattle, Washington, who has had a career in Europe singing a lot of Wagner. Uh, I first worked with him with the Tabernacle Choir specifically to do the Mozart Requiem. And he, I had to have him back. He's got a voice and a soul that fills the whole space that he's in. So we're very, very proud of our, our quartet. I think they'll be outstanding. That's wonderful. So it's Saturday, 1 p.m., Mozart Requiem, Ellen Eccles Theater, and you can get tickets at utahfestival.org. Remember, it's a benefit for Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Uh, let's hear some more music. Let's hear the DSE Ray. Yeah, that ha- we have to play the DSE Ray. Yeah, this is uh, track three. And uh, this is a highlight of any Requiem Mass, right? Uh, It's always, it it gives the most um, pictorial representation of, of, I may say, hell, of what could happen to the soul that's not redeemed. And they're singing Day of Fire, Day of Wrath. Um, Day of Wrath, Day of Anger will dissolve the world in ashes, as foretold by David and the Sibyl. Great trembling there will be when the judge descends from heaven to examine all things closely. I have to say, prior to this, there were several requiems written, but they start as Gregorian chant. None of them had uh, the pictorial representations in the music until Mozart's Requiem. Mm, Without Mozart, I doubt we would have had a Verdi Requiem. Yeah or a Benjamin Britten War Requiem. He, here's one of the world's greatest composers of opera who takes this text and turns it into something the world had never experienced before with this text and changes the whole form of Requiem masses from that point on. Oh, this was Mozart, yeah. This is Mozart. He approaches it as an opera composer, not as Palestrina would writing for the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Uh, I, I recall that, that there were some complaints about the Verdi Requiem. They, they, they said it's too operatic. Right? That's correct. <laughs> it, 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 in fact, it was not—I don't know that Verdi Requiem has ever been used as part of a religious service, yeah. but the Mozart Requiem has. In mm-hmm. fact, I'm quite certain for President John F. Kennedy's funeral, elements of the Mozart Requiem were used in that service. Yeah. By the way, just editorially, in my opinion, the, the Verdi Requiem, too operatic— Good, right? That's exactly <laughs> bully. That's I, I would say. I've been reading a, a biography of Theodore Roosevelt. That's what yeah. bully comes bully. in. So anyway, let's hear this. Uh, the the uh, at least a portion of the DS theater. <laughs>
So that's short enough. We decided to hear the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's pretty hard to cut that. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah, that's a good point. Uh, an opera composer. That's you hear he the brings, drama in that, right? He brings all those formidable talents in making this soundtrack to go with the text, and it opens a whole new world. And from that point on, you see these requiem masses take on an entirely different tenor from what happened before Mozart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, you brought in a book, uh, Craig Jessup. This is a, uh, meant to be, I think, by the, by the author, a corrective to the, the movie, right? That's correct. Amadeus. Um, in the movie, the people that recall that, uh, Mozart uh, has this high-pitched giggle. He's kind of seen through Salieri's eyes, who I think, uh, at least in the movie, views him as kind of silly. And, and how could this divine talent exist in this kind of the silly man? Uh, tell us about what we know of Mozart, the real man. Mozart was a child prodigy. His father, Leopold, was a court musician, played violin. He instructed Mozart personally in violin, harpsichord, and even at a young age, Mozart starts composing. But Leopold really exploited him. He he took him, some said like a trained monkey, all over the courts of Europe. And this little tyke of a kid would play and charm the courts of Europe. Even the Pope in Rome, uh, he played for him. But as Mozart matures... Uh, he loses the charm of this little boy and now is sort of an obnoxious teenager. And he realizes his real real talent is not so much in performing as in composing because he just had this incredible gift that seemed to just flow naturally from him. It, not that he wasn't well-trained. He was by his father and by the musical world that he lived around in Salzburg and Vienna. And Salieri, his contemporary, he could not have helped but have been insanely jealous of this music that came just out of heaven almost. And the movie portrays Salieri as being, why God, I've been so faithful, so true to you. Why would you choose this worldly creature and give him these gifts and not me? So we see this jealous rage uh, over him. And I have no doubt there probably was some jealousy uh, between, certainly from Salieri to, towards Mozart. Uh, I doubt it went the other way because the music, whose music survived the ages? Mm-hmm. How, many, how much Salieri have you heard in your yeah, lifetime? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, probably in the movie, right? That's yeah. where we heard it. This book, this book you mentioned was for H.C. Robbins Landon, an American musicologist, to set the record straight, to say as great as the movie was, and I can't urge people enough, go see it, r- rent it. It's, it's worth it. It's so well done. But the thesis of the movie that Salieri murdered Mozart is simply not true. Yeah. And he wanted to set the record straight. I have a quote from H.C. Robbins Landon if I may. Yes. Um, the, the big contemporary of Mozart, as far as a composer, is, is Joseph Haydn, who's a, a generation ahead of Mozart. But Haydn had said himself, he's the greatest composer known to me. For a man of the stature of Haydn to say that uh, is incredible. Haydn's music is, uh, in the words of Landon, almost perfect in every way but doesn't have the emotional depth that Mozart does. And, and he wrote, H.C. Robbins Landon wrote this, Mozart, he invites us to share his emotional world. He takes us by the hand, as it were, and leads us ultimately, requiring us to follow wherever he goes. His joys are our joys, his sorrows are our sorrows. And the hauntingly beautiful autumnal world of the music of 1791 where the sun's rays are slanting sharply and are soon to turn to sunset and twilight, is peculiarly our own. It has taken perhaps 200 years for the world to realize fully and in all its aspects what his loss has meant to music and to humanity. Haydn said, Posterity will not see such a talent again in a hundred years. And then H.C. Robin Landon adds, posterity hasn't seen it in 200 years. And that was written about 36 years ago. 
there's you cannot explain the genius of Mozart. Brahms never composed opera because he just couldn't do it. He didn't like it. Beethoven wrote one opera. Mozart does everything, symphonies, concertos, operas, religious works. There was not a realm of music that he did not succeed in and could not compose in. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Here's an opportunity for folks to hear the the Mozart Requiem uh, Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock. So uh, utahfestival.org. I want to talk before we go to the next break a little bit about uh, difficulties of trying to perform during the pandemic. Now we're coming out of it, you know, hopefully. Um, understand, uh, Craig Jessup, uh, the, the chorus will be performing masked. We've just dropped the mask. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Last week. All right. I've been waiting for our professional organizations, that is uh, the National Association of Teachers of Singing, the American Choral Directors Association and Chorus America. And they came out a week and a half ago and said, if you are vaccinated you can, and you practice some social distancing, you are safe to sing. And so we've, we are going to do that. Every member of the choir, the choir is at about 75 members. We normally have 200, um, but we required from the beginning that everyone who sang had to be vaccinated. And uh, last Wednesday night, tonight is rehearsal, I stood up and said, I'm happy to announce because of the endorsement of our professional organizations and the science, we can take off our, uh, off our masks. So every member of the orchestra and every member of the choir have been vaccinated, so patrons need not worry about that. Uh, and it's the first time in 18 months that we've been able to, number one, sing together, and uh, to do that has just been emotionally so fulfilling and incredible. Yeah, I imagine. You did some creative things during the pandemic. We did, we did virtual some videos, choirs and, virtual and, and choirs, such, yeah. but they all recorded at home. Yeah. We never once gathered together mm-hmm. at all. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, to my knowledge, every member of the choir made it through uh, this pandemic. Yeah, so I'm very, wonderful. very pleased. That's wonderful. Uh, Gary Griffin, uh, this must be emotional for, for your company to you know, smaller in number, smaller casts, but coming together and being on stage together. It is. And, uh, we've invited back some of our favorite performers <clears throat> from the last 29 years, uh, that we we've missed. They haven't been with us for a while. Joy Hermelin, uh, who was our Annie Oakley many years ago. She's been uh, on Broadway uh, and Fiddler on the Roof and a lot of other things. She's back playing Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, Kyle Fortmiller, uh, who was our Henry Higgins and a lot of other things, uh, has gone on to uh, eight years <clears throat> at the Metropolitan Opera Company where he's a full-time uh, employee there singing, and he's with us. And uh, so it's really nice to see some of these people Susan Hansen, Kurt Olds, uh, Lee Daly, who uh, is a very favorite with uh, with the audience. He's back. Indeed. He's playing one of the fathers in the Fantastics, and he's also uh, in uh, 33 Variations. <clears throat> so if you like Lee Daly, and who doesn't, yeah. uh, come see him again. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <clears throat> Uh, so that, that must have been very difficult uh, last year, Eight, 18 it, months worth of, of it's very hard. not getting and together. Yeah, one of the problems is uh, there's such a long lead time in these kinds of things. When you make a decision to do something, uh, it's based on the rules that are, that are then, and uh, they've all changed since then. So, you know, in, in effect, we could have done a regular season at the Eccles Theater, but we didn't know that back in, in March. The same with our friends at the Lyric Theater. Uh, they produced a season based on the conditions at the time they had to decide what to do they wouldn't do the same thing today but we're kind of uh, stuck in those decisions that we made and it's it's, it can't be changed now but we're doing it yes we are doing it yes and uh, the lights are on again that's That's a wonderful wonderful thing 
so Souvenir, I Do, I Do, Fantastics and 33 Variations, and of course uh, Mozart Requiem. Yes. Uh, UtahFestival.org. Yes. Place to get tickets. Yeah. Indeed. We've also got some uh, other things. We, we have our Breakfast with the Stars, which will be on the rooftop of the Utah Theater. We have a beautiful garden that we've made up there, and uh, that will be this Saturday and next Saturday. So if anyone's interested in that, we've got our cabaret down at uh, Cafe Sabor. There'll be two events there. So there's a lot of other things. We still have our academy with uh, classes being taught, and all that information is online on our website. Yeah, utahfestival.org. Yes. You can get tickets at utahfestival.org as well to the Mozart Requiem. That's a benefit for Utah Festival Opera Musical Theater. It's being performed by American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, and that's Saturday, 1 p.m. That's correct. So, And masks off. That's that's great. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> um, full audience as well, isn't it? Or uh, Yes, I think it's optional. Okay. For the audience members, but I don't think it's a requirement. But no, I, I, it's I mean, uh, you, uh, I mean, the, the, all well, the seats right. to be filled. That's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And that's Wonderful. per state reg- regulations now. Yeah, as well. Yeah, I went down to an opera at Utah, uh, Utah opera, uh, a while back, and it was, it was kind of thirty percent. So, I mean, it was very nice sight lines. I, I enjoyed, <laughs> you know, but I'm sure they took a hit, you know, yeah, not, yeah, not, not filling the entire theater. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's take another break. We'll come back with a brief uh, final segment following this. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Cache Valley Visitors Bureau with a reminder that your mother might clean up after you, but Mother Nature won't. Please be respectful of others by picking up human waste and garbage and keeping the trails clean for everyone. Support also comes from Golden West Insurance Services, dedicated to providing Utah families with customizable options on auto, homeowners, RV, and umbrella policies. Available online or inside any USU Credit Union or Golden West branch from Logan to St. George. Details at usucu.org. I'm Jay Ellison, producer of The Moth Radio Hour, and I hope you'll join us for our show here on Utah Public Radio with true personal stories told live without notes to standing room crowds around the world. Moth shows are renowned for the range of human experience they reveal. That's The Moth Radio Hour, Saturday evening at 6, right here on Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Carl Berger, and I listen to Utah Public Radio anywhere in the country using the UPR app. Thank you for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm talking with uh, Craig Jessup, who's director of American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, and Gary Griffin, managing director of Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. American Festival Chorus and Orchestra is performing the Mozart Requiem. Um, that is coming up Saturday, 1 p.m., Ellen Echoes Theater. You can get tickets for that at utahfestival.org. And uh, that's a benefit for Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Um, also, uh, to honor all those who've lost their lives to COVID through this very difficult 18 months, uh, you can get uh, tickets to the uh, other uh, events at Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, Souvenir, I Do, I Do, The Fantastics and 33 Variations, and other uh, events at utahfestival.org, utahfestival.org. So let's hear just uh, a bit of, uh, Craig suggested we heard from the Lacrimosa, which is uh, track eight. Let's hear just a bit of this. This is from Mozart's uh, Requiem Mass, Leonard Bernstein, the Bavarian Radio Chorus, uh, Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. The last thing that Mozart ever wrote was this. This one, okay.
again, wish we could hear the whole thing, but uh, we are running out of time for the program. Uh, so that's the last thing Mozart ever wrote. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to quickly finish the story, Mozart died in the middle of composing this, right? That's right. It wasn't finished, and uh, Costanza needed the money desperately, and she took his sketches and gave it to Zusmeyer. Uh, a colleague of Mozart's, and said, please finish this off. He did. That's the version you'll be hearing us doing. And uh, she got paid, and the count played it off, and everyone probably knew from the downbeat, he didn't write this piece. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't sound like Valsec to us. Sounds like Mozart. Yeah. And then, of course, this, as with many of Mozart's works, we're listening to it 200-plus years May may I say one other thing quickly? We are also honoring the legacy of the Reverend Carolyn Tanner Irish Mm. with this performance. Uh, The great legacy of philanthropy of Carolyn and the O.C. Towner Foundation will long be remembered by the people of Utah and Utah State University, of which we, the citizens of Cache Valley, have all benefited. We hope that this concert will bring comfort and a measure of peace to her husband, the Reverend Frederick Quinn, their family, and to all of those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. She was such a great, great lady and a great benefactor of all the arts of Utah. Very good. Uh, We're just about out of time, so um, just just a final uh, details here. So, Gary Griffin, um, just tell us briefly what's going to be performed uh, this season. Well, I didn't mention that uh, Michael Ballam, in addition to starring in I Do, I Do, is also playing Ludwig von Beethoven in 33 Variations. And uh, I, I watched him last night in one of the rehearsals, and uh, he's amazing. Mm. He looks he looks like Beethoven, <laughs> and uh, he's a very big fan of Beethoven. It's his hero, and uh, the role is something that he's looked forward to in a long time. Uh, his daughter Vanessa Ballam and her husband Stefan Espinoza are also back. They're playing the couple in uh, The Fantastics and they're also in uh, 33 variations. So we've got a lot of, uh, of people that we have had over the years that are coming back, and it's going to be a very interesting and wonderful season. And all the all the events are in the Utah Theater. Indeed. Um, so utahfestival.org is the place to go to find information and buy tickets. You can also go to utahfestival.org to buy tickets to American Festival Chorus and Orchestra's performance of Mozart Requiem. Yes. That's correct. Saturday, 1 p.m. That's correct. Very good. Well, uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, we could we could go another hour on Mozart, probably, but uh, we're out of time. So, Craig Jessup, director of American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, thank you. Thank you, Tom. And Gary Griffin, uh, managing director of Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, thank you. Thank you for having us, Tom. And thanks, everyone, for listening. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. Tenth Glacier, on the east face of Mount Tipanogos, isn't really a glacier, but the distinction hardly mattered to thousands of skiers who are anxious for the unique chance to hit the slopes in July. Learn more after this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. Beginning in 1912, Thousands of adventure seekers hiked up the back of Mount Timpanogos each summer to ski down a small permanent snowfield called the Timp Glacier. For nearly 60 years, they took to the mountain every July to summit the peak on what was called the Timp Hike. Beyond just hiking, this weekend extravaganza included camping, bonfires, and in some years, glacier ski races. The annual Timp Hike was hugely popular and also a strain on the mountain's fragile ecosystem. In the early 1940s, heavy snowfall covered the rocky landscape in a thick layer that lasted through the summer months, allowing hikers to ski or slide down the mountain in July. Skis, boots, and poles were loaded onto horses and toted up to the snowfield. The Glacier Cup competition attracted both viewers and participants, with local ski talents competing for bragging rights. Although organizers set the course with utmost attention to safety, the dangerous nature of the Glacier Cup race only added to the thrill. Snowdrifts, boulders, and crevices could prove deadly, not only for skiers, but also for hikers planning to slide down the mountainside. Falls were common, 
and with thousands of people hiking, skiing, and glistening, the risk for injury was high. Despite potential danger, interest in the Timp Hike and Glacier Cup competition only grew, with record numbers of participation in 1949. Unfortunately, the summer ski seasons were short-lived, and alternating dry and wet seasons threatened the size of the snowfield. Despite the semi-permanent appearance of snow, the field never recovered to the size that it was in the 1940s. Seasonal changes and the popularity of the Timp Hike also took its toll on the landscape. Abandoned trash and the destruction of flora and fauna during the weekend celebration threatened the health of the ecosystem, and in 1970, the Timp Hike was formally disbanded. The diminishing snowfield continues to serve as a visual reminder of the lasting impact of human recreation on the environment. Find sources in past episodes of the Beehive Archive at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, performing Mozart's Requiem 1 p.m. Saturday, July 10th at the Ellen Eccles Theater. Proceeds from the concert will benefit the Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Ticket information at utahfestival.org. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.